All right, uh, we are in Romans, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of those blue ones located underneath the seats around you. You can flip open to page 944, that'll bring you to the text we'll be looking at this morning. Guys doing okay? Sounds like it. That's good. Why don't we do this? Why don't we open with a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the, the ability to gather together this morning. Father, we come uh, freely. We come together and we come here to worship you, to honor you, to sing your praises, to hear your word, to serve your people. Father, it's a great privilege, and we thank you for it. Help us not to take it for granted. And Father, uh, the week, this is true every week, but the weeks can be heavy on us, and so we come in from a heavy week, and it can be sometimes hard for us to focus, to pay attention, but that's exactly what we need to do right now. We're coming under your word, and we need to not take it for granted or take it lightly. So Father, through your spirit, help us to be ready for it, and to hear it, to believe it, to live by it, to apply it to our lives, Father. We thank you for it, and we thank you for the reading of it today, and we thank you now for the text we'll look at this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So last Sunday, I finished a a two-part sermon on verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8 a message that I titled, Life, Life in the Spirit. And you might remember, if you were here, that I concluded that sermon uh, by saying that life in the Spirit is a life that is a life of no condemnation, right? It is a life that is free from the power and binding authority of sin and death, and it is a life that is supernaturally empowered to truly love to truly love as God has called us to love and thereby fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So, beloved, life in the Spirit is really the best life you can have. That's the best life you can have here on earth, life in the Spirit. And before we move on to chat or move on through chapter 8 this morning, what I want to do is just come back to verse 4 for a moment because Paul makes a statement there in verse 4 and then he goes on to give greater detail about what he says there in verse 4 in verses 5 through 8 the section we're going to look at this morning. So just let your eyes wander back up to verse 4. There Paul says this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, according to the Spirit. So as I explained to you last week, I believe that the righteous requirement of the law is love, is love. And what we learn in verse 4, and specifically loving one another, loving God, loving one another is the righteous, I believe, the righteous requirement of the law that's fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. And in verse 4, that requirement, as you read there, it is not fulfilled, it is not fulfilled in those who walk, or is fulfilled in those who walk according to the Spirit, 
but it is not fulfilled in those who walk according to the flesh. Now, I said this last week, but those who walk according to the Spirit is just another way of defining or describing Christians. Christians. Or you could say those whose lives are characterized as being governed and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the, a person, the third person of the Trinity. We're talking about the Spirit of God, and that Spirit indwells or lives in every believer. Okay? You with me so far? But now, what we want to look at, and I said that last week, but now I want to just draw your attention to, why is it not possible for the righteous requirement of the law to be fulfilled in those who walk according to the flesh. Why is it not possible? Because that's what he says. It's not fulfilled in those who walk according to the flesh. It is fulfilled in those who walk according to the Spirit. Well, Paul goes on to explain that and much more by contrasting for us the two different groups of people that we have here pictured in verse 4. And it's simple. You can, these are the two groups. There are those who walk according to the flesh, and there are those people who walk according to the Spirit. Or, as I've referred to them in my sermon title, you might see inside of your bulletins, we have flesh people, okay? Flesh people being contrasted with spirit people. Flesh people being contrasted with spirit people. And just so that you're very clear on what we're talking about here, the flesh people or those who walk according to the flesh, or as Paul goes on to describe these people in verse 8, those who are in the flesh, those people are not Christians. Those people are not Christians. And it's important for you to understand that and not think wrongly about this, as some have, that Paul is speaking here about two different types of Christians. That's how some people have understood this. That is incorrect. Paul is not saying that some Christians are those who walk according to the flesh, and there are some Christians who walk according to the Spirit, and those who walk according to the Spirit then are thereby able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. It's not what he's saying. And we know that. We know that he's making two... He's not talking about the same person. He's making a distinction between two different groups of people and we know the group who walks according to the flesh are not, are not Christians. How do we know that? How do we know that? Well, we know that right from the text, right from the context. So he's talking about these two groups. He's going to explain why he has said what he said. At the end of verse 8, he refers to those who walk according to the flesh. Look at you, Let your eyes go down to verse 8 because we're going to jump forward. I'm going to show you something. He says... Those, and we'll get to this, those who are in the flesh, he's talking about that group of people who walk according to the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so are you still talking about Christians, Paul, who are just maybe in the flesh and they're having a hard time pleasing God? No, he's not. Watch, verse 9. Look at it for yourself. You can see it on the screen. Look and see it in the Word of God. You, however, now who's he talking to? Christians. Christians in Rome, believers, you, however, are what? Not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in a person, that person now is in the Spirit. They are no longer in the flesh. Paul's not saying, well, hey, sometimes you're in the flesh and sometimes you're in the Spirit. I don't know. It just depends on kind of week you're having. That's not what he's saying. Maybe you just need to pray harder to get out of the flesh. That's not what he's saying. There's none of that. And yet, some have taken this to mean just that, which allows you to think that a Christian, and you'll understand this in a second, a Christian who calls himself a Christian can go on living and looking just like they used to, like all those in the world, and that's just a Christian in the flesh. No, it's not. That's not a Christian at all. Important. Got to get this. All right, so let's move on. Let's look at the text, and then we'll look at the outline, and uh, hopefully this will all come together for you. Verse 5, for those who live, remember he's bouncing off of verse 4, he just made a statement about those who walk according to the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We'll stop there. And so this morning what we're going to do, if you look inside your bulletin, we're going to consider simply two radical differences between those in the flesh and those in the Spirit so that we might further understand the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, I titled this Life in the Spirit, the last message. You could, you could actually title this whole section Life in the Spirit. He's describing what it's like to be or to have the indwelling Holy Spirit and what he does in the life of a believer, as opposed to, in this case, someone who does not have the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think uh, too many times there's an emphasis on all these things that I don't think the Holy Spirit's doing at all, and they're saying, this is what he does in your life, and, and no one's talking about these kind of things. These are the things that the Holy Spirit actually does, as we'll see in a second. Very clear. So here we go. Uh, the two radical differences are vastly different mindsets and, second, vastly different results stemming from those mindsets and from the position of a Christian or a non-Christian. So, before we go any further, I want to I take a drink of water, and I want to explain the word flesh to you, okay? I don't know if you notice, but the word flesh appears in every verse that we just read, every verse, I think twice in verse 5. So we got a lot of flesh here. And Paul is not, when he's using that word here, he's not using it to speak of the, the muscular tissue that covers your skeletons. I think you, you probably already figured that out, but that's not what he's referring to. Rather, it is being used more in a moral sense to refer to mankind's corrupted, sinful, and unredeemed humanness or humanity, the humanness that they are, the unredeemed humanness of humanity. Or you might say it this way, it's referring to the human nature as corrupted, twisted, and weakened by sin, the flesh, the flesh. Does that make sense to you, somewhat on that level? Okay. And concerning the flesh, 
We also have this description about the flesh by Paul in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. This is probably familiar to most of you, where Paul says this about that flesh, that unredeemed humanness. Now, the works or the deeds or what the flesh does, what it produces of the flesh, they're evident. This is what you get from the flesh. You get sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. You get idolatry. You get sorcery. You get enmity, which is hostility or animosity. This is, these are the works of the flesh. These are the deeds of the flesh. You get strife, conflict. You get jealousy. Not a godly jealousy, but I want what you have, and I'm mad that you have it, and I don't. You get fits of anger. You get rivalries. You get dissensions. You get divisions. Right? You get broken homes. You get divided churches. You get messed up communities. You get envy. You get drunkenness. You get orgies. And things like these. What kind of things like these is he talking about? You get evil in all of its forms, corruption, sin working itself out through the flesh, through that unredeemed part of humanity, through that twisted part of humanity. And I warned you as I warned you before, Paul says, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. Why won't they? Now, see, someone might read that. I'm just going to stop for a second. I, didn't, I want to focus just on that because it's in the text. Why won't they inherit the kingdom of God? Well, beloved, is it because we've got we to earn our way into the kingdom of God? So if, if I blow it and I'm envious, boom, I'm out. I'm out of the kingdom of God. No, Paul is saying those whose lifestyle are characterized by walking in the flesh demonstrate that they've never been born again. They've never received the Spirit of God who is their, their guarantee that they will enter into the kingdom of God. Their down payment, if you will. They don't have the Spirit of God. That's evident by the fact that they continue to do those things. The people who continue to do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, and yet... There's a message out there that says, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They'll be fine. They'll get in because they raised their hand or prayed a quick prayer, and they're good now. Beloved, if they've been saved, if they've been redeemed, if the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of them, their lives will not be characterized by these things. They cannot be. And if they are, there's a problem, a real problem. Serious problem. And if they are expecting to enter into the kingdom of God, they have another thing coming. So when you think of the flesh, you can think of that part of fallen humanity, okay, which is thoroughly opposed to God. That's what you can think about when you think of this word flesh. Thoroughly opposed to God. Opposed to the things of God and opposed to God's will for how he wants his creation to live. Flat out opposed. 
God says, do it this way. The flesh says, I'm going to do it that way. The flesh is rebellious towards God. The flesh is self-exalting. The flesh is self-serving. The flesh is self-indulgent. The flesh wants to rule. The flesh doesn't want God in its business at all. Okay? That's fallen humanity. Now, this is important. You should also understand that the Christian person, who would that be? Oh, maybe some of you. I hope. Because <laughs> quite a few of you have entered into membership, which is supposed to mean that you're actually bona fide, authentic, true Christians. So uh, I hope it's some of you at least. Uh, but the Christian person, listen, for the time being, the one who is, who is trusting in Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, following after him, that person, for the time being, while they remain on the earth, guess what? They still retain this corrupted flesh. Did you know that? You still retain it. You have not yet, I have not yet been fully released from it. And that in great part, beloved, is the reason why in this life that as Christians we continue, or I would say we probably for the first time as Christians, we begin to battle now. It's a battle, becomes a battle when the Spirit moves in, there is a battle now and a struggle with sin for the Christian, for the non-Christian, for the one in the flesh. They're at home. They're at home in all that nonsense. But for the Christian, no longer can they go on living that way. And this is why Paul exhorts his Christian readers. This makes sense when we understand that the Christian still retains this corrupted, twisted flesh. While Paul will say this in Romans 13, 14, he exhorts again Christians to make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for it to gratify its desires. What are the desires of the flesh? They're all the desires that are absolutely opposed to God's desires. You with me? See, Paul wouldn't have to say that. He wouldn't have to command Christians to not make any provision for the flesh if they still weren't dealing with the flesh. We are still dealing with it. We are still dealing with it. But having said that, having said that, listen to me carefully. The Christian person may still retain the flesh, but they are no longer, no longer in the flesh. Rather, they are in the Spirit. And how do we know that? We read it in verse 9. So I found one pastor who stated that, that reality like this. He simply says this, the flesh remains in the Christian, although the Christian is not in the flesh. You confused yet? It's okay to be confused, because I'm trying to work it out with you right now. We're kind of working it out together. The flesh remains in the Christian, although the Christian is not in the flesh. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, listen, while we know that the flesh still remains with or in the Christian and continues to burden them, to dog them in their walk with God, we also know this, that the Christian is now 
no longer in the place that they once were. Where was that? In the flesh. They're no longer there. They're no longer in the place of the non-Christian. In that place, they are dominated by the flesh. The flesh is the dominating influence for those in the flesh or the controlling factor or the regulating principle in their lives, those in the flesh. Which, by the way, is why it is impossible for the unbeliever or unsaved person to truly live for God. It's impossible. Or to please Him. It's impossible because they still remain in the flesh. They're still in that place where flesh is the dominating influence in their lives. But the Christian, however, the one who is no longer in the flesh but is now what? In the Spirit. They are in the Spirit. That person is the one who no longer walks according to the flesh but walks according to the Spirit, meaning that their lives can no longer be characterized as being governed, guided, and empowered by their old, corrupted, and sinful nature. But rather, by the Spirit of God, they are guided and governed and empowered. And the Spirit of God is not opposed to God or opposed to the things of God or opposed to God's will for how His creation is to live. You with me? Okay. Having said all that, having said all that, let's look at the first radical difference between those who are in the flesh and those in the spirit. And that is simply this. They have vastly different mindsets. Vastly different mindsets, which is the first point in your outline. Look back at the text. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Paul says this. And again, this is following verse 4, where he says, those who walk according to the flesh, they cannot fulfill the... They're not the ones fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. It's those who walk according to the Spirit. Then he explains, verse 5, for those who live... Now, you see that word live? I'm just going to mention this. It really just says those who are. That's literally what it says. Those who are according to the flesh. Those who exist according to the flesh. So the ESV uses the word live to try to make it a little more understandable and readable, but it's literally just are. Those who are, those who live, those who exist in this state according to the flesh. Those people set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are, those who live according to the Spirit, those who exist in that state, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So in both cases, you could say that it is the nature of the person in the flesh or in the spirit that determines their mindset. It is the nature of the person, whether they're a believer or unbeliever, that determines their mindset or what they think about and what they set their affections on. What they think about and what they set their affections on. That word set their minds on, that verb that's there, that's the idea communicating that. It's what we think about, it's what we put our mind on, and what we put our heart on, okay? Our affections. And so those who live according to the flesh, 
those who are in the flesh, the non-Christian, are those who habitually make the things, listen, the things or the desires of the flesh. Hey, are the desires of the flesh productive for your Christian life or non-productive? No, counterproductive. They go against it. Are the desires of the flesh good and wholesome? No. They're evil. We just talked about them. We just looked at them in Galatians. They are opposed to God, opposed to the things of God, opposed to God's will for how his creation is to live. So the one who is in the flesh, who lives according to the flesh, who exists in that way, they set their mind on the desires of the flesh, the very things they think about and set their affections upon are the the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit, those who are in the Spirit, True Christians, authentic Christians, are those who habitually make the things or desires of the Holy Spirit or the things precious to Him the very things that they think about and set their affections upon. You with me? Kind of just chunking away here. So one writer says this concerning, concerning these, this, this verse. He says, It's simply this, it's a question of what preoccupies us, of the ambitions which drive us, and the concerns which engross us, of how we spend our time and our energies, of what we concentrate on and give ourselves up to. All this is determined by who we are, whether we are still in the flesh or are now by new birth, being born again, being saved, are in the Spirit. All that stuff is determined by who you are. Are you still in the flesh? You're not a believer. You're not a Christian. You haven't been born again. Or are you in the Spirit? Are you in the Spirit? And if you're in the Spirit, there's going to be a change going on in you, in your heart in your mind. You are going to be driven towards thinking about, setting your affections upon the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. Skipping over verse 6, look at this, which we'll come back to. Take a, um, and we're going to take a look at verses 7 and 8. We'll come back to verse 6. Paul says this in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is in harmony with God. Come on. What does it say? Hostile. Is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So listen, verse 7 and verse 8 follow verse 6, okay, which we're going to come back to. And we should understand verse 7 and 8 as an explanation for why According to verse 6, the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the flesh is death. This is Paul's explanation for why that is so. And we're going to look at that as we look at point 2. But what I want you to just see right now is that the one in the flesh, the flesh person, the unbeliever, the one who has his or her mind set on the flesh, is the one who is truly hostile to God. Do you see that? They're hostile to God. Now, I just thought for a second, just trying to 
think about our real-life situations and experiences, you might know someone who is not a believer. Well, certainly you know people who are not believers, right? They don't follow Jesus Christ. They don't, they don't love Jesus Christ. They, could, they don't care about Jesus Christ. They may know about him, but they're not here. They're not in any church, right? Okay. And some of those people might even be uh, moral to a degree. Yes or no? Do you have that experience? All right, I do too. I know people who don't know Jesus, and they, they're nice folks, Right? They're not trying to beat you up every day or anything like that, take your money, steal your car. They're not doing those kind of things. And, they're, and they may even you know, be moral externally. Let me tell you what's going on, though. And you say, well, wait a minute. This in the flesh sounds like just a horrific thing. It is a horrific thing. But it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. Remember I said the flesh is opposed to God. The flesh doesn't mind creating a, a different God, though. It doesn't mind that. As long as the God that the person is worshiping is not the one true God. The flesh is cool with that. Because the flesh is in rebellion against the one true God. So it doesn't mind if that person, you know, wants to come under their little, their creation of their God who's a moral God, who just says, live a moral life, right? But this God doesn't make any real demands, and this God doesn't tell them the only way you get to me is through Jesus Christ. This God's okay with them rejecting Jesus Christ. Then the flesh is cool with that. The flesh doesn't need the person to be a rapist or a murderer or out, you know, pilfering or all those things, although those things can be true as well. The flesh is okay with some external moralism. It doesn't care because it knows the heart hasn't been changed. In fact, in many cases, those in the flesh, listen, those in the flesh, they're still in rebellion to God even when they, they try to show kindness to their neighbor. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because they haven't given their lives to Jesus Christ. And so in many cases, there's guilt. They're feeling guilt. And so they do those things not because they've been transformed by the Spirit of God and now love is being poured out through them and they want to sacrificially love their neighbor. No, no. They do that because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel good. It, it brings them honor. Remember what I told you about the flesh? Self-indulgent, self-exalting, self-serving. So the flesh can do all those things and manifest itself in the life of an unbeliever, and it looks like, wow, that's a pretty mighty nice person there. But why are they doing what they're doing? If they're in the flesh, I'll tell you why they're doing it. It's for selfish purposes. Ultimately, it is. Now, they may not acknowledge that, but we know what the Word of God says. It ultimately is self-serving. Are they doing it for the glory of God? They might say yes, but then I would ask, what God? Are you doing it for the God of the Bible? Because if you're doing it for Him, then you must know His Son, Jesus Christ, and you must be a redeemed person of His, right? If that's the person you're really doing it for, the God of the Bible, because if you're living for him, then you'd be living for Jesus Christ because that's what the Father wants you to do. You see what I'm saying? Kind of. I took a real long rabbit trail there, but I'm trying to show you because, you know, sometimes we make these distinctions. Well, they're nice people. They'll get into heaven. What are you talking about? This is not, it's not about being, you know what? Who talked to, Chris talked about this and we don't, but again, he's talking about motivation. Why do we give? That's what's more important, Right? 
That's what I'm talking about. We make judgments all the time about what's going on in people and who they are, and we don't know because all we see is this. But God sees this. So they might look moral, but if they're still in the flesh, everything they're doing is for them. Make them feel better, to alleviate guilt, whatever it is, to get some honor, to get some kickback, you know, I scratch your back. That's how you know, too, because a lot, a lot of those situations, they do nice things, but, oh, if that's not reciprocated, right, then you see a whole nother side. Well, that's, that's evidence of the flesh. Because the one in the Spirit is able to, empowered by the Spirit of God, to love sacrificially. To just give it away because it's not even their love. It's the love of God in and through them. They just give it away. And if it's not reciprocated, that's cool. They're not doing it for them. They're doing it in honor of God. To serve God for His glory. You see? So, all right. We're going to get back to all this. I don't even know where we are. Oh, okay, there we are. So listen, the mindset in the flesh is opposed to God, opposed to the things of God. Oh, here's another one, by the way. What, what's one thing of God that stands out in your mind right away? And let me give you a hint so you don't spit out kind of crazy answers. It could be on your lap right now. The Word of God. Just remember that thing we call the Bible? It's the Word of God. Ah, this is, for me, this is how I can determine right away where someone... Uh, well, it helps me determine. Let me say this. I can't see anybody's heart. But when I see someone who says they're a Christian, but they are opposed to the word of God, so that means that, I'm going to get real with you now. So that means that when, a, when someone who says they're a Christian has a problem, and I, I want to now take them, we're going to work through this problem. Where are we going to go to work through this problem? We're going to go to the word of God. And they look right at that word of God, and they go, I don't care what it says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay, we either have a really, really immature Christian, that's possible, or we have someone who's still in the flesh because the flesh is opposed to the Word of God. See, God does something miraculous in the Christian's life. All of a sudden, you want to, you may not understand it all, but you want to come under that Word. I mean, why are you even here? I don't know why I'm here, Jeremy. My parents make me come. Okay, I understand that, but for the rest of you... Why are you here? I mean, we spend so much time every Sunday on what? Theatrics and comedy and... No, baby, right here on the Word of God. Why? Because we have been changed, transformed. We, wanna, we know this is where it's at, and we want to come under that. Why? Because we're, we're really smart? No, because the Spirit of God is working inside of us. And this is how He... Tra- so He transforms us. So I'll come to the Word of God, and I'll go, Oh, that's a hard one. That is hard. But I, I sense, I feel, I know, I want to come under it. God, help me come under it. I want to. The person in the, I might struggle, I might have difficulties, but the person in the flesh says, I don't want that. Don't give me your Bible stuff, you Bible thumpers. You're all the same. Always having to pull out the Bible. Yeah, that's what people in the Spirit do. You see what I'm saying? So this flesh is opposed to the things of God, opposed to the word of God, and they are most certainly, those in the flesh, are opposed to his right, God's right as creator to rule over their lives or dictate to them how they are to live. 
Huh? See? Hey, I'm going to live. It might be morally looking, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick and choose what I want to do. No one's going to tell. They may not say this, but that's what they're doing. No one's going to tell me how to live. Don't talk to me about being pure until the day of marriage. That's ridiculous. That's what they say. No one in our culture does that. Everyone sleeps with everybody. It's ridiculous. Is that not our culture? You know what that culture is? In the flesh. We're so confused now, though. We got, quote, Christians who say these kind of ridiculous, nonsensical things. Oh, it's, you know, come on. Come on. You don't really expect people to be pure, do you? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, I do, especially as a father of a daughter. Certainly. <laughs> but sons as well, right? They shouldn't get a special pass. Like, sons, it's okay. They can do whatever they want. No, this is, this is see, it's not like I'm telling my daughter she better do that because if she doesn't do that, then she doesn't get into heaven. No, that's not what, we're beyond that. Non, I know how she gets into heaven. It's through Christ, only through him and faith in him. That's how she gets there. But now we have been, we're in a new place. We're in the spirit. So we have a desire to submit ourselves as messed up as we are because we still got this splash, right? But now we're like, no, I want to submit to God's will for my life. And you know what? He's expressed it to us. He's told us what his will for our lives are. We don't have to go wandering around. Where's your will, Lord? Is it here? No, that's not it. I don't like, no, it's right. It's everywhere here. It's right here, right? So I come under it. I see it. I go, all right, Lord, I'm going to need your help. Because you know, the flesh, all it wants to do is the exact opposite of God. It's the exact opposite. You see? But I want to submit to it. The one in the flesh, though, says, I don't care. I don't care about those things. And even if they don't say that, their lifestyle eventually proves it. For the mind set in the flesh does not submit to God's law. Or you, I think just Paul speaking generally here. I don't think he's necessarily now talking about the Mosaic law, but the demand of God. It does not submit to the demand of God over the person's life. By the way, does God, does the Creator have a right? Does He have a right to tell us how to live? Right. But the rebellious flesh says, you don't have that right. It's like teenagers, man. Right, you go through that battle. It's like, no, listen, I, <laughs> I get to tell you what to do. You know, you're in my house, you're under my authority. Now, ultimately, we all answer to the authority, right? But no, you answer to this authority. And so you see that, you see that fight, that battle going on, right? Well, those in the flesh are battling the authority all the time. And it manifests itself in all kinds of ways. Do not tell me how to live. Those in the spirit, some difference going on. Lord, tell me how to live, because I'm messed up. I want you to tell me. I want you to guide me. I want you to direct me. I need help. God knows that. That's why I gave you a spirit. And in fact, he goes on further. He says, Paul says, it cannot. It cannot. It does not submit to God's law. 
It cannot. Why? Why can't it? Because the flesh, beloved, is corrupted and weakened by sin. And so, as I've been saying, it remains continually in a state of defiance and rebellion to God. So the flesh refuses to submit to God, but rather foolishly and sinfully attempts to assert its independence from God. Really? How foolish is that, guys? How, see, this is how messed up sin is. Sin's working through the flesh. The flesh is corrupted, dominated by sin. And you want to cut yourself off from the giver of life? Where true life is found? That's what the flesh does. That's what the flesh wants. Tell me, tell me, anybody you know who has taken that path of walking in the flesh, Right? Where does it end up? A, a good life? It's ruined, man. It's ruined. Paul says, therefore, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. By the way, it's not will not. I just want you to see that. It's not that they won't. They can't. That's the word. They're not able. They're not able. They lack the power. It's in It's actually impossible for the unbeliever, for the one who is in the flesh, to please God. Hello. And yet, we got a bunch of false religions out there saying, you can please God. You got this long list right here. Just do this list. Do this list. Give this much to the church. You'll be pleasing God. Sorry, if they're an unbeliever, it's impossible. Everything they do will be motivated by the flesh, self-serving, self-indulging, self-exalting, everything. One writer says this, he says, the unsaved person, the one in the flesh, can only order their lives in a way that is hostile to God and that will incur his wrath. And based on the context of this section, what is obviously implied in these verses is the person whose mind, listen, the person whose mind is set on the Spirit, that is the person in the Spirit, the Spirit person, the Christian, is the one who is not opposed to God. If you're a true believer out there, if you're out there and you're you're the real deal, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the change that has occurred in your life. You're no longer opposed to God. You you now submit to his rule over your life. I'm not talking perfectly. But as, as a way of life, is it not true? Let's talk back to me. Is it not true? You want to. You desire to. And you do submit your life to his rule. Huh? And you set yourself to please him. And guess what? You're actually able to please him through the power of the spirit that indwells you if you are a Christian. You delight in this. It's your pleasure now. Like a Chick-fil-A, every time, you know, you say, thank you, they say, it's my pleasure. I love that. That is the way it is with God. God says, well done. It's my honor. It's my honor. It's my pleasure to serve you. That's different than, hey, do you see what I did, God? See, that's, that's something else. 
So does this help you? Does this help you at all see the significance now of the Holy Spirit in your life? You see what the Holy Spirit does? Man, it's a radical transformation. It's a different mindset. And now we have to conclude with three minutes left. The second radical difference between those in the flesh and those in the Spirit, and that is the vastly different results or consequences for those in the flesh. This will be fast. Vastly different consequences or results for those in the flesh versus those, or those who set their mind on the flesh versus those in the Spirit or those who set their mind on the Spirit. Look back at verse 6 real quick with me. Paul says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death, that can't be good in any sense. But to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and peace for flesh people. For those who set, whose minds are set on the flesh, for the non-Christian, for the unbeliever, for the one dominated by the corrupted flesh and therefore can only order their lives in a way that is hostile to God and thereby continually incurs wrath. For the one whose mindset, a mindset on the flesh, alienates them from God and makes fellowship with Him impossible, for those people there is only one result or outcome. Only one. There's only one that's possible, and that is death. And my friends, Paul can't be just talking about physical death here, right? He can't be because, uh, in case you didn't know, Christians die too. Hello. They do. Christians die too. We both, non-Christians, Christians, flesh people, spirit people, both experience physical death. So this must ultimately refer to eternal death or permanent separation from God. That's the outcome. That's the result. But listen, for spirit people, for those whose mind are set on the Spirit, for the Christian or the believer, for the one governed, guided, and empowered by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of them, thank you, God, for that great gift. There is a vastly different result or outcome. Rather than death, rather than separation from God, guess what they experience? Life! True life, beloved. True life. A life lived in sweet fellowship with God and a life that is lived for God. For real. For real. Not just now, but forevermore. And unlike the flesh person, by the way, who is hostile to God, you see the contrast here? The spirit person is now at peace with God. They are at peace with God through the work of Christ on their behalf, applied to them through the Spirit that now indwells them. They're at peace with God. Now and forevermore. No more hostility. No longer are they enemies of God. They're friends of God. Children. Adopted children of God. Can you see the incredible significance of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a believer? It's huge. It's amazing. The transformation is radical. And let me just close with this. This is why, this is why we must be about the business of bringing the gospel to our messed up world. This is why. The salvation it brings to those who truly believe, who those who place, they repent, they turn to Christ, they place their faith in Him and Him alone. 
That salvation is the only thing. It's the only thing that can change flesh people into spirit people. It's the only thing. You can't change yourself. I can't change myself. I'd still be a flesh person. I'd still be dominated by the flesh if it weren't for this great salvation and the Spirit of God who worked in my life and drew me to the Lord, gave me faith that I might exercise it in this great Savior and then indwelt me and took me out of that place of being in the flesh and placed me in the Spirit. You see what I'm saying? It's the Spirit of God. And that's the only thing, beloved, that work that transforms rebels because that's what people who are in the flesh ultimately are. They're rebels without a good cause on their way to hell. But this work of the Spirit transforms rebels on their way to hell into faithful followers of God who are on their way to heaven. And having their minds set on the desires of the Spirit rather than the desires of the flesh, guess what? They're now motivated and enabled to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. They are enabled to live a life, motivated to live a life pleasing to God, motivated for the right reasons, not because they're trying to get into heaven, but because they're already on their way there. They are enabled to live out the blessed life and to truly be a blessing to others. And ultimately, that brings them, the Christian, the one in the Spirit, the Spirit person, the one walking according to the Spirit, the one who is according to the Spirit, the one who is in the Spirit. It brings them great, great good, right? Great good. Yes or no? But even more than that, it brings great honor and glory to God. Great honor and glory to God. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fantastic what the Spirit of God does in our lives, but always remember, ultimately, He's bringing honor and glory to God through our lives. That's His aim. That's His goal. That's, and that's exciting that we now, who were in rebellion against God, who were in the flesh, who were opposed to God, opposed to the things of God, opposed to His rule over our lives, by the work of the Spirit of God, we now... That's been changed. It's been completely altered. I, I now can live for God. I now, wow, I want to. Whoa. And in the process, I can, by the Spirit of God, I can please Him. Wow. And I, this messed up sinner who was on his way to hell, is now a vessel of God's being used to bring Him honor and glory. Whoa. You see the significance now of your life? It goes from zero to hero. God, of course, is the hero, but he allows, he works in your life and he makes you a part of that. That's amazing, guys. That's amazing. You need to think about that. And, and you need to think about these things. When we think about the Spirit of God, like I said, it's so often we talk about the Father. We talk about the Son. And many times we leave out the Spirit or we talk about the Spirit in some very strange ways and we, we put stuff on him that he actually has no responsibility for. This is what he's doing. This is honorable. This is God-honoring. This is glorious. This is wonderful. And when we begin to think about what the Spirit has done and is doing in our lives, man, it should give you a time of praise, a time of thanksgiving, and it should remind you of your continual dependence on Him.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glory of it, the wonder of it, the, the, uh, the education, the instruction, the exhortation, the training it gives us, Father, all of these things. And, and Father, thinking now about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that person, the third person of the Trinity, Father, we just want to give Him honor. We thank you for the gift, the gift, the amazing gift that He is. Father, you have, you have radically, radically transformed us and are transforming us through the Spirit of God. And, and, and we are grateful for it, Father. Help us to, to recognize our continual dependence upon the Spirit of God. Father, we thank you that we are no longer, we are no longer categorized as, as those, as believers, as those who are in the flesh. But now we are those who are in the Spirit. Father, we also acknowledge that Although we are not in the flesh, the flesh still is there, still there, and we look forward to the day where we can rid ourselves of it once and for all, Father, because you've promised us in this great salvation that we're going to get new glorified bodies, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be made new creations, I mean, we're going to be made new, Father, we're going to be made completely new, and in that newness, there will be no more corrupted nature in no sense of the word. Father, we look forward to that. We look forward to the day where there is no more battle. But Father, we also want to thank you that there is a battle now. Because before when we were in the flesh, we didn't care. We were living in that muck like pigs. In the mud. On our way to hell. Father, in your great mercy, your sovereign grace, you came in, you rescued us. You worked out all the circumstances and the details. You drew us to yourself. You transformed us. You took us out from being in the flesh and you placed us in the spirit. And Father, that is now where we live. And we thank you for it because it's changed us. It's changed our minds. It's changed our hearts. And now, Father, we feel that battle, but it's a good one. It's a good one to be having. As we look at the flesh and we say, no, I'm not making any provision for you anymore. I want to live by the Spirit because I want to live for you, Father. I want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that whole thing is your work in our lives. Amazing, amazing. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your work that's going on inside of us. In Christ's name, amen.